and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 7th of May with me, Ian Welsh. Following the recent Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Forum, I caught up with Stephen Bethel, founder of Bank & Vogue and Beyond Retro, and we talked about the growth of circular economy models in the apparel sector, why the concept of waste is outmoded, and how the value in pre-used textiles is being increasingly appreciated. And with Innovation Forum's in-person Future of Food conference in Minneapolis rapidly approaching, I spoke with event director Emily Heslop to find out how it's all coming together. First though, is some sustainable business news. Draft new corporate sustainability reporting standards have been put out for consultation by the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, ahead of being submitted to the European Commission towards the end of the year. The standards will form the basis for how companies in the EU will have to disclose on environmental, social and governance performance under the new Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. The draft standards include the principle of double materiality, in other words, reporting on both the financial implications of ESG issues and the external impacts of the reporting company or organisation. This has been welcomed by the Global Reporting Initiative, which has long been pushing for double materiality. GRI is widely regarded as the leading provider of voluntary standards on sustainability reporting and has been working with the EU's advisory group since mid-2021. New research published in journal Nature suggests that replacing 20% of the planet's beef consumption with a meat substitute over the coming 30 years could halve the deforestation and carbon emissions associated with the meat's production. Raising cattle is a major driver of deforestation and animals themselves are a major producer of methane. Researchers at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research have modelled replacing one-fifth of beef consumption with the meatless alternative microprotein, most commonly known by the brand name Quorn, produced by fermenting fungus with glucose and other nutrients. The replacement would cut methane emissions by 11% compared to a business-as-usual approach. Modelling also suggests that replacing 50% of beef consumption with corn-type alternatives would cut deforestation and emissions by 80%. The UK's newly enacted Nationality and Borders Act has raised concerns about new human rights and modern slavery risks. The headline change is the rather bizarre prospect of people seeking asylum in the UK being shipped off to Rwanda instead, which has been widely condemned by human rights groups and is already subject to legal challenge. The new laws also provide for criminalising those desperate enough to be seeking asylum and will take away being subject to modern slavery or exploitation as a reason to not be removed from the UK. Quite how a shift towards making it harder for people to seek protection from exploitation as a means to reduce the numbers of asylum seekers can then be argued as a method of targeting traffickers and protecting their victims remains to be seen. The Innovation Forum event series continues next week with our online Future of Food event from the 10th to the 12th of May. I hope to see many podcast listeners there. Do say hi if you're in the networking sessions. And coming up next month on the 14th and 15th of June is the in-person Future of Food conference in Minneapolis in the US. To find out how it's all coming together, earlier this week I caught up with Innovation Forum's Emily Heslop. Welcome back to the podcast, Emily. Thank you for having me. Hello. Well, the event's coming up, isn't it? So how's it coming together? It's coming together really well. We're about six weeks out. It's going to come around in no time, I'm sure. It's definitely shaping up to be a great few days with some really interesting speakers and a great list of attendees already signed up to join us in Minneapolis. We're going to be in person, which is great. What should delegates expect at the event? So they can expect a two-day conference with the leading food brands and a range of stakeholders providing very practical supply chain solutions that help to ensure more resilient and regenerative food systems. We'll be having a really open, honest debate throughout the conference. It's all held under Chatham House rule. And it's our first time holding the conference back 
face-to-face since Chicago 2019. So they can expect a lot of networking opportunities and that kind of face-to-face interaction that so many of us are craving since the start of the pandemic. If the event we held in London a few weeks ago is anything to go by, everyone's going to be really excited about getting back together and discussing the issues face to face. It does make a big difference. All those little conversations that you have when you're having lunch, getting a coffee or over a glass of wine at the end of the day, all the conversations that we've been missing we'll be able to have again. So that's really exciting. Any new panellists involved or new sessions coming together? Since we last spoke, we've confirmed Florian Shuttenman, the CTO and VP of R&D at Cargill for our opening Q&A. So we're going to be looking at how will a food tech revolution impact the future of food. And we're also seeing a lot of interest on the sessions looking at regenerative agriculture. So we've got representation across these sessions from Oatly, Grupo Bimbo, Intelligence, Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and more. And then the final session of the second day, we're looking at closing the loop on food. And we've confirmed Tonya Lagresta from Loblaw, Jean Busby from US Department of Agriculture, Justin Lacroix from Ahold Del Hayes. And that's going to be moderated by the Consumer Goods Forum, that final session by Alia Kamek Bayeva. Some really good speakers then. I'm actually not going to be at this one, so I'm, I'm sorry to be missing it, but it's a, it's a really good lineup of speakers and sessions for sure. Emily, how can our listeners get involved? People can email me directly at emily.heslop at innovationforum.co.uk. If anyone is interested in still getting involved in a sponsored speaking slot, or we have a handful of speaking slots still available to get in touch. If you are interested in attending the conference as a delegate, you can register online now and we have a deadline discount. So you can save up to $200 on your ticket if you register before next Friday, which will be the 13th of May. Excellent. So that's it. This is definitely the time to register. So $200 off your tickets if you register by the 13th of May. All right, Emily. Well, it's all coming together. All very exciting. We'll catch up about it as we get near the event. But thanks very much for your time. Thank you. A few days ago, I spoke with Stephen Bethel, founder of Bank and Vogue and Beyond Retro, about his fascinating work proving the value in what was previously regarded as waste materials in the apparel and textiles sector. We're talking just after the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference, which Stephen was very much a part of. Uh, great to have you part of the event again, Stephen. So why don't you give us a reminder of what uh, Bank and Vogue and Beyond Retro do? So if you walk into our world headquarters in Ottawa, Canada, there's a sign on the door that says innovative and relevant solutions to the crisis of stuff. So there's four things that we do around the crisis of stuff. We're one of the largest sellers of secondhand garments in the world. So we buy from charities and private collectors throughout Canada and the United States, mixed use clothes, and we sell that to about 27 countries around the world. But in our effort to find the best home for those used clothing, we also have a chain of retail stores, which are traded under the name of Beyond Retro. Beyond Retro interprets the trends of the day through used. So we have stores both in the UK and in Sweden. And thirdly, in this effort of what do we do with the used stuff, if we can't find a home for it, can we remanufacture it into something else, which is the third division of our company. We have a remanufacturing division where we cut up existing garments that have really good fabric and maybe we turn it into a backpack or maybe we turn it into another item. But a stellar example of what we do with the upcycling is we have a collaboration with Converse where we are making the upper for the Chuck Taylor shoe from used clothing. And that just shows that used can be an input to new at scale. 
And then lastly, if we can't resell it, if we can't repair it, if we can't remake it into something else, what do we do with these millions of pounds of clothes we handle every year? We have been working with companies like RenewCell to be an input to fiber to fiber recycling. So that's taking the used apparel, sorting it, grading it, treating it, and then supplying it to both chemical and mechanical recyclers. So you mentioned two of your customers just now, RenewCell and Converse. Who in general then are your customers and what is it specifically that you're supplying them? At the end of the day, we're trying to challenge the fashion community that use can be an input to new manufacturing. So if you're going to make a tote or you're going to make a handbag or you're going to make an upper for a pair of shoes, we want to sit down with your designers and say to them, hey, what if you made that from used? The session that we did this week with Toby and the people from Doc Martens is a really example of why. In the next eight years, the textile industry is to grow at 4% compounded over the next four years, which means that in 2030, there'll be 50% more demand for natural fibers like cotton, leather, and wool. Well, where does that come from? What we're trying to put out as an option to brands and to designers is, what if we can give you used as an input to new manufacturing, as opposed to deforesting more land, or as opposed to planting more cotton, or as opposed to shearing more sheep? What if we can give you the stuff that we already have in, in circle? How then do you characterize the growth of circular economy trends in the apparel sector? Because obviously what you're doing is a large part is a, a circular economy model. I think what we're seeing is we are at the beginning of what is a necessary trend, and it is the beginning. So resale is, is the first step in circularity. And obviously, we trumpet that through our wholesale customers in the 27 pieces we sell to. If you can imagine that Beyond Retro now being in Triangla, which is a mall in Stockholm, or being in a Westfield, resale is really is just starting to be a, an enormous opportunity. But then the next opportunity beyond that is to be able to pull the bedsheets off of used as an input to new manufacturing at scale. And I think we're just at the beginning of what actually Patrick, the CEO of RenewCell, is referring to as the second industrial revolution. It's how do we actually industrialize the used as an input to new at scale? And I think we're at a very exciting time for the fashion business, for designers, for material procurers to say, hey, wait a minute, we can make this set of used and probably have a better product, probably have a better story and probably be cost compelling and certainly would have a lower carbon footprint. And a really great historic example, the Sistine Chapel. People rarely, this is talked about, but all the marble that makes the Sistine Chapel was actually stolen off the Colosseum. And so no one ever talks about the Sistine Chapel as a remade building. And just as our product that we're making, people don't necessarily have to talk about it as used as an input to new, but it is an alternative to using virgin material. Are you seeing this happening in other sectors too? As we all start to look at the world through a carbon lens, what's the impact that what I'm doing on the carbon conversation? I actually think that fashion is in a unique position to be inspirational or aspirational for other industries. Because the reality is of the carbon inputs or carbon effect on the world compared to the concrete industry or the building industry or the shipping industry, fashion has a unique way to grab the mic of the public audience and inspire change 
yes, we're seeing it in other industries, but I think fashion has a real opportunity to inspire other sectors and other parts of the economy. What is the water effect of what we're doing? Or what is the deforestation effect of what we're doing? I think that's the unique opportunity that fashion, fashion with a capital F, has to inspire. Do you think this is then part of an overall awareness of the value that's inherent in what was once regarded as waste? I get mentally caught up in the word waste because I, I never think that secondhand clothes is waste. So I, I always want to have a conversation, but I'm going to go past that. There's a conversation that talks about end of life. And I actually think it's about the next life and how things can be taken in a form about the next life. There is a greater understanding that we all need to do something. And we vote with our dollars about doing something. Certainly, you see it in the schools that we talk to and in, in the design students. I think there is an understanding, and maybe it's the leading edge of a sword, but I think there is an awareness that our choices are having an effect on the planet. Absolutely right. I think it's definitely part of a trend, isn't it? In terms of practicalities then, are you finding it easier now to source the used clothing and other materials that you then repurpose or make into other things or indeed supply to your customers? It's sort of funny that we just come out of COVID, which created an enormous turbulence in supply chain. And it's created an enormous turbulence for a lot of people's supply chain. But for used clothing specifically, there was some major turbulence. Shipping has gone up. Our product is a low value item. So there's been massive impact on cost on shipping. There's been labor shortages throughout the world. So collecting the clothes, bailing the clothes, sorting the clothes. There are some real drags in the immediate of course, we're concerned as an industry about inflationary pressures on consumers and what a forecasted recession will mean on our supply chain. But all that being said, when cotton has doubled in price in the last 12 months, you know, this is grown cotton. The one thing that is interesting about used clothing is, and when you have supply chain insecurity from the politically challenged areas where cotton has grown. The supply security of America's closet is very much there. So used actually has a unique place to sit, a secure supply chain. And the irony is, is you know, it sort of is the language that people use about the oil production. And we would argue that America's closet is the best secure supply chain for input to new manufacturing. What are the barriers to growth for your business in the concepts that you're developing? What are the barriers to growth? A lot of what we are, as the tech evolves, we can take more and more of the used clothes and put it as an input to new. A lot of it is also informing designers and brands a compelling collection from used at scale. And it really is an education thing to show products like the Converse Chuck Taylor that this is possible. So education is a barrier. There are other sort of macro barriers that are interesting. We're moving into an anti-global environment. We're seeing it in our supply chains. There is a threat, a real threat, that there could be a fractured supply chain because of waste nationalism. Countries saying, we don't want our used clothes being exported. But that used clothing could be an input to new manufacturing. And inversely, so there are macro challenges about exporting. There's also macro challenges about importing. Many of the largest world economies that make new garments don't allow used as an input. So, for example, China has a green wall that you can't ship used clothes to China. Bangladesh has a wall that says you can't ship used into Bangladesh. So some of the largest economies 
actually have these barriers. But there is, encouragingly, though, some really good work being done on removing those barriers. Also, there are new tech coming out on polyester recycling. There's new tech coming out on blend recycling, both chemical and mechanical. There's solid energy and work being put into it. You know, a Renew Cell is way ahead of many of its competitors, but it's also a beacon of light for other sectors within the used sector, the polyester, as an example, or the or leather or uh, the wools. Thinking back to the apparel sector in particular, do you sense that apparel sector brands are becoming more aware of the secondary uses of materials in their products, of the, of the new life, as you mentioned? I mean, are you seeing changes in product design that reflects this and makes this easier? I think that there is both an aspirational motivation and a fear motivation. <laughs> the fear motivation is that I think that they're worried that the legislative bodies will say that there is no content in the product is made, uh, there'll be punitive tax implications to the brands. So some of what is motivating the brand is fear. <laughs> you know, there's legislation going to come, so we better do something. But I also think that on the aspirational side, there's an understanding that there is a consumer segment that wants this as part of their diet. And that in the hierarchy of why you buy something, I think has progressively moved up that hierarchy. It's far from number one or number two right now, but it's definitely in the top five. You know, number one is, is it a really on-trend item? The delivery of something that is sustainable is trumped by something that's super on-trend or tells a really great story. We don't want to be hubris about what we're trying to do. We need to be somewhat honest about where we sit. So many conversations in the apparel sector are around the fact that, well, look, you want to have it sustainably sourced and everything else, but it's got to look good. It's got to be something that the consumer wants. And if because if it isn't, they're not going to spend money on it. What's next for you guys? Then? What's coming down the track this year? We're really excited. So first of all, we celebrate this year 20 years of Beyond Retro as a trade. Number one, what's uh, on track is we're going to have a really big party celebrating our successes of having used as part of the landscape of fashion in both London, the UK, and in Sweden. So a little bit of celebration is always a good thing. Secondly is we have some really great product drops and more collaborations with some amazing brands where we are making components for new manufacturing from used. I am scaling the work that we're doing with RenewCell and 10xing the amount of material that we're supplying them. I think is really exciting. And also some of the work that we're doing with the other polyester recycling and the input to it. I'm really proud to say that even out of the pandemic, we've doubled the size of our business on a very sort of practical level. We see another doubling again in the next couple of years. It's a fun time to be in this space. It's always great talking, Stephen, and hearing about all the exciting innovations you're, you're coming up with and the new brands and collaborations that you're developing. So, Stephen Bethel, President, Bank & Vogue, Beyond Retro, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Ian. As ever, the Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. Look out for Mike Scott's latest business and climate column. And don't forget that you can save $200 if you register before May 13th for the in-person Future of Food conference coming up on the 14th to 15th of June in Minneapolis. Everything you need to know about this and all the remaining Innovation Forum Spring Event series and what's coming up later in the year is available online. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh and until next week when I'll be reporting from the Future of Food Online conference, goodbye.